The Brandon Peters Show may contain explicit language and detailed plot points. For more information on the show, stay tuned to the end of the episode. Brandon Peters show and uh, welcome back from last week, Greg Magoon. Whoa, whoa. Yeah, today Greg and I will be t- talking. I almost said taking on. We're not one of those shows. We enjoy the things we talk about. Here. <laughs> taking on practical magic. Um, no, it sounded, yeah, it sounded like you were about to say TikToking. We're about yeah. to TikToking on. No, know. I'm not there yet. Today, <laughs> Craig and I will be talking the 1998 film Practical Magic, which is also turning 25 years old this year and also uh, was running concurrent with I Know What You Did Last Summer. Um, I'm not going, This the next series of episodes isn't movies that came out alongside I Know What You Did Last Summer. It's just, even before, I think even before we talked about the I Know What You Did Last Summer episode before we recorded, we brought this up. So the yeah. fact it came back later when we were recording was a thing. Um, and Greg... This is this is a pick of yours here, and um, yes, I liked it because I tend to like to veer left from expectations a lot. Um, it's October, which is a season of ghosts and goblins, uh, vampires, and uh, witches, wh- whom are the protagonists of this film. And it's not a horror film, nope, but a traditional horror character in a different setting, and I'm game for this. So, yep. We're talking witches in October. You're like, oh, yeah, it makes sense. Practical magic. Yes, it makes sense. So, because I said it did. Um, and Greg agreed. So, it's an autonomous movie. Like, it's autumn and it's fall. It's Halloween. It's, it's- very, like, if yeah. you're if you're celebrating with things like, you know, your, your hocus pocuses and things like that, this is like happening oh. down the street. You know, like, it's, it's not, I mean, it, it has those elements. It just doesn't have what goofy costumes and some makeup yeah. well no it does have some well, makeup stuff yeah it does have some makeup stuff here and there but it's it's in the vein of it just instead of biting into the horror stuff it's going more into its genre stuff and detailing with the horror things i i think it's got that it, fall feel it really well it does have its fall feel and it just has that fall look and it's more in line with now Hocus Pocus 2 than 1 because of the sisterly aspect of it. Since Hocus Pocus 2 leans more into like friendship and family mm-hmm. and like that bond. Um, but it's basically Frozen before Frozen. Like, let's be real here. Everybody was so empowered by Frozen. And um, Practical Magic set the tone of sisterly love saving the day. Let's be real. Oh, wow. That whole dance moment at the end, that is Frozen, everybody. So everybody who loves Frozen... Take your children when they're old enough to watch Practical Magic because that is the next level on the Frozen spectrum. All right. Um, Because it really is sister love saves the day. Spoiler alert. But you can love this movie even knowing how it ends because it's just, I mean, 12 minutes into rewatching this movie, I was already in tears. So here we go on this. Here we go. Uh, Greg, before I decide, so if there's someone tuning in like, not the horror movies I was expecting, Greg, quick three horror recommendations this month 
that aren't super obvious or a given from you that you'd be like, watch this one, this one, this one. Oh my gosh. Um, Okay, I do love horror movies, and I yes, you do. Love, yeah, like, great, shocking, like gory. That's ones what we too. talk about a lot uh, when we're not when we're messaging when we're each other. Let's record. We like, you see this one yet? Oh, you need to see this one. Or what do you think of this one? So we talk about horror a lot. So um, okay, so I will go with an unlikely based on like every show I've done with you. Mm-hmm. This is probably shocking, given how graphic. I know we've talked about it, but our listeners don't know. The Devil's Reject, the second in the Firefly trilogy, trilogy by Rob Zombie, and don't be fooled by the monsters if that's your introduction to him. He's all <laughs> about the blood and guts. Um, and that movie is shocking. And eventually we will do an episode discussing that and why I think that movie is a brilliant horror movie, but it is not for the faint of heart. Um, I'm trying to think of what else I've watched. You know, a movie that I watched that's like terrible, but also entertaining <laughs> that was in line with like a hostile type movie. Well, I want to say it was like Midnight Meat Train or like, oh, with Bradley or- Cooper. No, oh. it was, no. Well, that one. Yes, that is Midnight Meat Train with Bradley Cooper. Uh, oh, you mean it was like one. it. It was like it. Like okay. it. Yeah, it was like it. It was like with was it with Thora Birch? I think it was with Thora Birch. Yeah, there's a movie on a train and kids who are like traveling on a soccer team and they the train is is, a lot of bad shit happens on a train. I want to say it's Thor Birch and I'm looking it up right now. If you like the hostile movies or you just train, it's literally called train from 2008. (laughs) I just discovered it earlier this year and I was like. This fills my hostile needs because it actually had great production value okay. overall. Story's absurd. Um, and then I guess put Midnight Meat Train in there because it's so bizarre and like into that category. I'm just, I don't know what else. Like, I'm really hung up on like Devil's Rejects because I can rewatch that movie so much. I quote it all the time, which isn't really probably appropriate. Like I quote the rom-coms that we've talked about. Um, but I, I do think that movie accomplishes... Um, something that other horror movies never have. Gotcha. And um, and we are planning on doing that that as a episode we've been talking so about. So that is a teaser to what yeah. I will say, but I will not answer that on this Practical gotcha. Magic episode. But if you want an answer to it, watch that movie, and then you can be like, this guy is crazy for thinking this movie is brilliant. And then I will tell you why I think it's brilliant after the fact. And Rob Zombie, if you're listening... Give me a call because I will applaud you for this movie. A he lot. could be. He could be. He's a friend of Justin Beams who's on the show frequently. Oh, so, and we've talked yeah. about Rob. Uh, we did the Living Dead Girl video once, um, and we've brought up Rob a couple times. But funny, Midnight Me Trade. Would did you see that when it first came out, or did you? No. So, no. it got like it was supposed to be this big theatrical release, and I can't remember. I think it like premiered on Stars or Comcast, like on demand. And it had an intro by Clive Barker. And he's, he goes, Hello. He's like, Hello, this is Clive Barker. And I'm very happy to bring you the Comcast cable digital premiere of my film <laughs> like he started out like this and then he realized my not theatrical thing. like he just you saw him just die a little when he introduced that but now I think he'd be happy to have something on streaming um, 
to do stuff. He said he's going to be writing again with the new Hellraiser. He watched oh, it fuck. and felt like writing again. So, um, very interesting there. All right. Well, Greg, thank you for your recommendations. Love them. And we're going to move on to Practical Magic. Sally played it safe. I don't want to fall in love, ever. Jillian played the field. But for two sisters with a magical gift. What would you do? What wouldn't I do for the right guy? Falling in love is the trickiest spell of all. Is he cute? (laughs) Yeah, he's nice. Sandra Bullock, Nicole Kidman, Practical Magic. Directed by Griffin Dunn, written by Robin Swy. Is it Swycord? Swycord? Swycord. And Akiva Goldsman from the 1995 novel of the same name by Alice Hoffman, starring Sandra Bullock, Nicole Kidman, Stockard Channing, Diane Weist, Goran Viznik. Viznik? Uh, he's in the new Hellraiser. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, what's Goran been up to? Good to know yeah. that he. He was on Doctor Who. He played Nikola Tesla a couple years on Doctor Who, and um, he's on the new Hellraiser movie. So he's hitting up franchise genre things. Uh, Aiden Aiden Quinn is in this movie, as is Evan Rachel Wood, Mark Feuerstein, Margot Martindale, Caprice Benedetti, and Camila Bell. And Yes. So uh, Griffin Dunn here, uh, the star of American Werewolf in London and After Hours, and I'll be talking about him next month in an episode of Alfred Hitchcock Presents that was directed by Tim Burton as part of that. Um, he, But in his directorial career, he did uh, Addicted to Love as a movie he did, and he's done a lot of episodes of The Good Wife. Um, but yeah, uh, I don't... Till I saw this, I was like, oh, he directed stuff and known stuff, because... I don't know. Growing up when I did, I knew what Practical Magic was, so it wasn't like it, it. Granted, while its box office expectations and you know fell short, I you know everybody knew what this movie. If you lived through this era, Practical Magic, you're gonna be like, oh, Nicole Kidman and Sandra Bullock as witches. Despite not enough people going out to see this movie, everybody was aware of it. Um, it's one of those movies that I feel like would do better today than it would back in 98 when it came out. I just feel like, again, like this went through like a phase in the 90s, late 90s. There were a lot of like kind of duo women type movie. I mean, not a lot, but like, because I mean, my fa- I look at some of my favorite movies from the time and I'm like, okay, Romy Michelle's High School Reunion is probably my all-time favorite movie. And that's two women like centric lead movies. I love Practical Magic. Um and then there's like Thelma and Louise, which came obviously before this. Right. But you have kind of this interesting blend of like these two women and something comes, but it, it but it's really the women supporting women like genre, like that niche that was happening in the 90s yeah, that like weren't the... really aware of as much that I feel like would translate better today if it were made. Like the fried green tomatoes movies yes. that we're all trying to like, you know, was it like the steel magnolias effect? Was that what was kind of maybe when did that movie that came was out 80s but like it takes a while for it just yeah start going and the build of that on vhs growing a following through that too because that was a whole new thing but uh yeah because i think like this movie and this is a this is not a knock on this movie and it's not a knock on romantic comedies but i don't i wouldn't call this a romantic comedy it's not and it's got qualities of one at time at a, at a certain point in the movie it does but 
it's it's really not, and it could have got tossed with those a bit as well, but well, it's not one. I mean, here's the thing about this movie. I love it, and I rewatch. It's been a couple of years since I rewatched it and watching it in my current headspace while I'm like living this existential crisis year of my life mm-hmm. where like any like I this year was not the year to watch this movie again for me because it hit too hard, which is why I started crying 12 minutes in. One of the critiques about this movie is it doesn't have a genre yeah. um, because it really juxtaposes a lot of themes and it has kind of a heavy subplot woven into some lighter subplots but then it has romance it has mystery it has drama it has well it doesn't really have comedy it has like cute but not comedy in the traditional sense of like laugh out loud with the exception of maybe the margarita scene which we can talk about later but there isn't light-hearted it's light-hearted for some of it I, I want to say well, like half of it because like you, you said, this movie doesn't pick a lane and no. that was, uh, I went back and I was reading like the reviews at the time. I was kind of derided and a lot of them were talking about it. It's, um, it suffered tonally and was off the rocker, but I saw it more as this movie has a lot to offer rather yes. than it doesn't have a tone or it's 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 uh struggling to find a tone or just is tonally off but i'm like no i think this movie's just offering different things and and changing changing lanes rather than picking lanes when it needs to pep up or you know do things and it feels like it came from a book but it feels like this could have been like there's this book series there's a couple books but we're gonna make we're gonna make one that's like the best of all these books and try to make a movie Agreed. It's a mini series shoved into uh, 144 minutes mm-hmm. because so much happens within the first 20 minutes of the movie that then you all of a sudden you're like, wait, everything that's been covered in the first 20 minutes really is just almost expositional before we even get to the story. But you're invested in the first 20 minutes. As I said, I cried within the first 12 of my rewatch. Mm-hmm. So you're very uh, like invested in the exposition only to await about 25 minutes before you actually get the central conflict of the movie, which then is still kind of secondary to the bigger concept of the sisterly bond that this movie and like kind of the theme of embracing your uniqueness, which is the overarching theme, all plugged into a murder mystery. Like you're just like, yeah, how does this movie work? But for me, I love all that because I hate when things are just forced into one genre and this gives you love and romance and compassion and sweetness and family. And then it gives you that subtle like murder mystery. And then it gives you, um, and then just the way we'll, we'll get to the end as we go through this movie, but the way people come together in the end, I just think it's fun and it feels good, but because it's in 144 minutes it does feel a little rushed, but in my mind, I'm filling in all the gaps because I just love the performances that much that I mm-hmm. feel like I'm capable of filling in all the gaps. But if you're not as invested, it might be harder to rationalize some of the choices in this movie. So go in there, just kind of embracing what it shows you mm-hmm. and the parts that aren't shown. Allow yourself to fill those in because 
you're not like they're not on Big Brother. This is not like you're watching like the lives of everybody 24 seven. So they can only show you so much clips. It doesn't mean the stuff they didn't show you didn't happen. It just means they didn't show you it for this movie. I'm more forgiven on certain moments of that where I'm like, oh, I believe it got to point A to point C because I think B happened. Like, I think the performances right. are solid enough to allow me to believe that stuff happened in between them um, for it to be justified by the ending. But yes, it is rushed. It's just, I don't well, fault the movie for rushing it. It's, and not the, this isn't Griffin Dunn's preferred cut of the film. Uh, his his cut went with what they, they tested that out. It didn't test well. So then it became the process of studio notes and chopping. Yeah. So um, a- according, to, according to legend, uh, <laughs> Griffin Dunn's cut was a bit darker in tone throughout. Um, and they chopped it up to make it a little pep it up a little bit. I can't imagine how dark it would be because there's no, I couldn't find any notes on reshoot reshoots or anything. I think it was just cut up a bit to pace it, to move it more. But like, I, I, I don't know what they would mean by darker tone. And to what you're saying about, uh, the sisterhood, the, like, I feel like a lot of other direct directors or somebody would have wanted to to focus more on the Gordon Visnich um, ghost story aspect of this and make that more prevalent in this when that's just kind of it. I think it's perfect here because it's not important for like the story at all. It's not what it is. It's important for a certain moment and development in a relationship, not to just tell throughout the movie. Yeah, like the the resolution in this movie isn't necessarily removing his spirit and ghost, mm-hmm. but it's more of the sisters coming together to resolve their conflict united. And that's the thing. That's why I love the um, the the aunt um, played by the brilliant Stalker Channing and Diane Weist, who I love them both in this. Mm-hmm. So, like, you have those two women kind of, like, setting the tone of this kind of kooky family, because at that point, you're, like, quirky and offbeat, which I will say there is one moment that doesn't bother me in the movie, but it is such a sharp, um, and it's towards the end, it's just such a sharp shift that I think it's just really funny, but I love it. Um, but I don't want to jump too far ahead so we can go through it. And for like people who don't know this movie, I feel like we haven't talked enough about like the mm-hmm. premise of this movie. Um, essentially, and this is what I mentioned behind the scenes of our, I know what you did last summer episode, um, which made me want to talk about it is as I was working on one of my children's books and trying to like develop a story of a fairy tale, I realized after looking at it, I was essentially writing practical magic, which I didn't realize at the time where it was the the whole setup of this movie that's done through a quick little hocus pocus type backstory only instead of a woman getting hung the rope breaks um she basically is so heartbroken that she doesn't want like she basically says like i don't want anybody to fall in love anymore and it's like this curse that's placed on the family well it wasn't considered a curse but it became a curse um to prevent women from like having men fall in love with them and them falling in love. So they just basically don't have to experience the pain of heartbreak. And now I'm going to cry. Here we go. And that like that curse thing is what started resonating actually long before this year into my writing um, of just kind of 
the idea of being like, oh, well, if I make it so no one can love me, then I won't ever have to experience this heartbreak. So that's kind of like this tone that's set up is basically like these women, but here's the kicker. If somebody does, they die. And you're like, okay, so somebody falls in love with me, you die. It's a very dark theme wrapped up in a loving, like Sandra Bullock smile. Um, Except when she's not smiling. Um, So Sandra Bullock, her like long line of curse, her dad dies. Her mother dies of a broken heart, essentially, because like the curse and it transfers down. And Sandra Bullock is like, I never want to fall in love because I don't ever want to experience this. And I don't want people to die because of me. Meanwhile, Nicole Kidman's character is, I love love. I can't wait to fall in love. And um, so Sandra Bullock sets up this whole like kind of spell for herself saying like, I'm going to create this man that doesn't exist. So I never have to worry about love and I never have to deal with this curse that has now been on our family for generations. Um, because what is love? She sees her aunts kind of doing their old lady things, um, which they're not even that old. And like, how old are Starker Channing and um, Diane Weist in this movie? They're not very old. She's, I, I mean, I, I was like, because Diane Weist is just something, someone they, and I'm not, it's not like just some people, it's a benefit later on, but some people just, looked old when you met him and then just never yeah. aged and they always still looked that old. So like Diane Weist, when I was watching her and like back in like Woody Allen movies and stuff like that, looked the same age as she is in this, just older than like me or whatever. Um, cause she's always been older than me, but I think she's at, always at the, been old. cause I, I checked on this and I was like, Oh, she was, she was like 52 when she made this movie. Um, okay. But I feel it, like she's the same now. I saw her on Broadway. Probably exactly. Like, yeah. She, that's the thing. The when you're when you're 30 and you're or in your 20s and you look 40, you're gonna still look 40 in your 50s. <laughs> that's uh-huh. 50s and 60s. That's what that's what happens. It's like to people they they when you look older at a younger age, you're gonna benefit because you're gonna look younger at that more older senior age. Um, yeah. But yeah, Stocker yeah Stocker Channing. I well she was what 35 when she played Rizzo. So I. I love that for her though. No, it's um, a great it's a great uh great trivia biz. Like you realize she was like could have had a high school child when she played um Yeah, so, she could have been Lorelai Gilmore of the Gilmore Girls as she played Rizzo. Okay, she so Lorelai and Rory at the same time. No. So um, she was fifty four when she did this. Okay. See, and then yet now I still see them in movies and I'm like, you still are stock exactly. who I know and love and ageless and brilliant. So I love the two of them and they're kind of pseudo um, uh, Grey Gardens lifestyle that they're living, but like cleaner. Uh, <laughs> they light yeah. up the movie every time they're in it and strangely not overdone. Like they don't, they're not in, they're, they're good enough a presence to just know, but they will come in briefly or have like a scene here and there, but they're not, they're not like there all the time. And that's part of the brilliance of this mm-hmm. movie where it actually shows them like they set them up to be these kind of eccentric, like kooky women um, who are like, you get chocolate for breakfast where really, I mean, like those kids, I swear, like every scene, I, I love that, that like they shove that in your face because if you look at Camille Bell and um, uh, Evan Rachel, Rachel Wood, Wood yep. as young Nicole Kidman, which I totally forgot that was Evan Rachel Wood in this because I, I knew it was Camille Bell. But I didn't realize it was Evan Rachel Wood. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and they have like the chocolate on their lips. I'm like, do you ever like wipe your mouths off? Like, I mean, they had a lot of chocolate. Mm-hmm. Like the art department was like, they need more. It hasn't been drilled home. They eat chocolate all the time. <laughs> and then meanwhile, it cuts to like um, Sandra Bullock's children, who I do appreciate that it's also a brunette and a redhead. Um, so it's like they passed down like her two kids are also just like her and her sister. Right, and, Exactly. Um, well, and the the person they played, they got to play their mom. I'm like, she looks like she's related to Nicole Kidman. Yes. I was like, because when they put, went by, I was like, oh, oh, that's not her. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was crazy. So they had all the chocolate, but they set it up where the ants look like they're irresponsible or whatever it may be. But at the same time, one of the founding like principles, I don't know if that's the right word, but founding principles of kind of how they live their lives is you make a mess, you fix it yourself, but we're going to support you when you need it. Like they're not going to come in and save the day. They're going to walk away until you actually come for help type of thing. Mm -hmm. So that's what I like is when that scene, um, when they find out halfway through the movie that something bad happened after the margarita midnight moment um and they just like casually go upstairs and Sandra Bullock is like we took care of it they're like mm-hmm. and they just like walk upstairs and it there's no sense of um urgent there's an awareness to them as in let them solve their own they don't enable there's the word i want to use there you go they're not enabling people to um or or yeah they're not enablers um they allow people to fail and fix their problems, but still show love and support and don't criticize or um, or just negatively treat your mistakes because it's a learning experience. As long as you learn from your errors, they're going to be there to support you through that. And I respect that message and kind of that boundary that they sent like this movie like actually like shows family boundaries in a way like no other movie really does. Um, because you don't see that like, oh, no, you did something wrong. You're terrible. You're this. You're just like, you're going to live. You're going to learn. You're going to be treated like garbage. And you just have to get through it. So, again, this movie's really ahead of its time. And I love it. But um, but I'm getting ahead of myself. So um, the curse happens. And Sandra Bullock, as a child, says, I don't want to fall in love. So I created this man that doesn't exist. And Nicole Kimmons like, I love love. And that's when it hit me and I started to like kind of cry right when they became adults and Sandra Bullock saw Michael in the streets who I still love. Um, I loved Michael. Um, And, and then she gets like, all of a sudden the Diane Weiss kind of has a little look when she sees Michael, this like grocer or delivery man or whatever Mm -hmm. he was walking the street and Diane Weiss kind of looks over and sees him looking at Sandra Bullock. But let's be real. Anybody walking down the street past Sandra Bullock would give Sandra Bullock a look because Sandra Bullock is Sandra Bullock and she's a delight. Sandra Um, Bullock dressed like, like she's like Shania Twain, 90s Shania Twain era. Like I was like, I look, I was like, there's a look she's going for here. And I'm like, I think it's like Shania Twain. (laughs) Like that like that i mean and shania twain who's like my ultimate being of life who i've seen six times in concert and just saw three weeks ago in vegas on her closing weekend um i love shania anyway so yes shania um sandra dresses shania captures the attention of a uh, a kind and humble delivery man in the street diane weiss notices it while realizing that nicole kidman the sister so jilly i'll start using Mm -hmm. their like character names um, so Sandra Bullock is Sally and 
Nicole Kim and his Jilly. Uh, so, and then like, okay, Sandra needs some love. So somehow all of a sudden Sandra or uh, Sally's in the garden and then she just kind of like looks up and something kind of just captures her attention out of the blue. She has like this epiphany and she starts walking back into the town and then she sees Michael and she starts like running, like walking towards him, like a light little like mall walk jog, like you're in a hurry, but not in a hurry to run. And then Michael kind of looks at her and they start running together in the street. <laughs> I'm going to cry. Um, <laughs> and this is before the movie even starts. This they, kiss, this kiss. Playing like iconic. Faith Hill. <laughs> and I'm just like, everything about this is 90s realness that I love. And and Sandra's in love, Sally's in love, and Michael has like and found his match. And then you get this like beautiful little montage of the two of them falling in love and having a family. And and I just lose it because at that point in time, while rewatching this movie, <laughs> here I go. Um, I realized I've been living my life as a Jilly when I've been like yearning to be a Sally my whole life. Um, because all Sally has been doing is like, I just want to be normal. And here I start crying. She like part of what she talks about in this kind of 15 minute epilogue expositional, like backstory of their childhood, um, is how she just wants to be normal because kids in the town are going like, which, which she's a, Oh, FYI. Oh yeah. They, they totally, they have a kid. The kids are sitting there going, "Witch, witch!" She's a witch. They snuck in a bitch in one of them. Yes, like, they I, I was like, "Bitch!" I was like, "Wait, that kid said bitch!" Like I heard it. I heard. Subtitles. I went back. The subtitle. Oh, the subtitles said bitch. Okay, subtitles say bitch. It was witch, witch. She's a bitch, and I was like, "What?" The subtitles are yeah. saying bitch. So they. Shocking. So it goes. The first one says like, "Witch, witch." She's a bitch, and then it goes, "Witch, witch." She's a witch, and I'm like, uh, "I was like, somebody snuck that in there or something." But when her children, when Sandra Bullock's children, when Sally's children later mm-hmm. on in the movie are going to the store making faces in the window, yep. it is all the subtitles the entire time say, which, which she's a bitch. Oh, oh, okay. yeah. Well, so, those can like, be off sometimes as this person sometimes. used to do subtitles. Um, yeah. Those can be off and they use. So like sometimes they will use an earlier shooting script for the sub. They hand them to people who... English is not their first language, and they just give them the shooting script, and they don't know what's different. They just they'll type it out to sync up with things where they think it's working, and then a person like me, I would get it, and I'd be like, "That doesn't match." And most studios be like, "I don't give a shit." Yeah. So <laughs> if you're if you're watching this with children, just turn off the subtitles during certain yeah. parts. You don't want them to read the word "bitch" multiple times um, because you do see that caption a lot. And I was like. But I feel like it's true. I think they were saying witch, and yet the subtitles um, in the in the second scene, not the first mm-hmm. scene when they were doing. It, I think in the second scene they are saying witch, but the captions all say bitch. Anyway, so Sandra Bullock is being kind of tormented. But well, the whole family is kind of being tormented as children in this town, which is also funny that like the family. Um, and you know what? This kind of relates to another movie that I love more than Life Itself, Chocolat. 
um, okay. where it's like a mother and a daughter who are kind of ostracized from town to town or for their beliefs and just what they do. Oh, God, I love that movie. Anyway, we almost did that one once, I believe. We did. We chose that something was my else. other option instead of um, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead, actually, for the very okay. first show. I was debating between Chocolat and Don't Tell Mom. Okay. So anyway, um, I love woman-led movies, apparently. Like, all my favorite movies are, like, woman-family-related movies. Anyway, um, they're, like, basically the Diane Weiss character, um, she's Jet, and Soccer Channing is Francis. So the two aunts, um, they've been living in this town. They've been kind of ostracized and alienated, yet sweet old Diane Weiss walks through the street and greets everybody, and hi, and Soccer Channing's like, why are you talking to all of them? And the kids are getting, you know, the kids get more, get attacked more than the ants actually do in these movies, which is kind yeah. of bizarre um, that the kids are more criticized for their parents' behavior or their relatives' behavior. Kids don't have their and, powers harnessed. Yeah. So um, anyway, so that's backstory to Sandra Bullock, who wants to suppress everything inside of her. You know, this is a very queer story, too. And then it becomes very, uh, like, oblivious, like, a very blunt at the end because there's a literal coming out at the end of the movie, but right. not in a queer sense, which we'll get to that. So this is, like, a... This is, like, Frozen before Frozen and a queer movie before, like, Frozen and all the things before all the things. Anyway, um, Sandra Bullock just wants to be normal and just have her life, but she doesn't think she can love because of this family curse that if somebody loves her, they're going to die. And it's all because of a beetle. That was the weird kind of thing. It was like the crick, like the, the sound of the beetle. Yeah. It's like, it's like uh, oh shit. Damn it. Uh, Not again. Which, which that's the one thing that I'm kind of confused on is um, the logic, not the logic behind it, but how quick, like, at what point does the beetle activate or this curse that because she, at this point she's been with this man for at least eight years or long? Like, daughters look how old in, they're in school and stuff. Like, yeah, it because because it starts, she's like, Oh, it's been three years and have these kids, and then it cuts to something. And I'm like, Those kids are not three years old, yeah, that's like, exactly what I wondered. They're not even close, one's got to be like pushing 10, uh, um, exactly. But yeah, so there's. I was wondering about that too, and then the thing happened. I'm like, did and the ants are like, sorry, da, da. I'm like, did the ants make sure it happened? Is it like, yeah, like assholes? What are you doing? Like because it's like, wait, so he didn't fall in love with her until her kids turned ten, or like she didn't fall in love with him until her kids turned ten. Like, like I just don't get like, like how you know did they I'm in for this get to the wedding if this curse exists so i don't fully understand like do you wait till you're too in love and too happy and that's when i just started sobbing during this movie i was like of course it's just when you're too happy and you're too comfortable and then they decide to rip everything from your life that you've wanted and you've longed for forever and it just all gets taken away from you so it is the worst like curse in the entire world because but you know it, what what Nicole Kidman comes back home to town and says, "You know, somehow heartbreak feels good in a place like this." That was my answer. <laughs> and then <it> all <laughs> wait, so is that AMC like theory? Um, is her <laughs> character in that AMC commercial not Nicole Kidman, but actually Jilly? It is from Practical Magic. That's right, and she's cast a spell on everyone to continue to keep putting that in theaters. 
the unlikely sequel like um clip from practical magic is uh nicole kidman's amc commercial mm-hmm. as jilly where she discovers she does talk about magic in mm-hmm. that right like the magic mm-hmm. and everything yep so you know what? There we go. We are getting subtle teasers into a sequel of Practical Magic, which Sandra Bullock and Nicole Kidman back in the day, and I don't even know how recently, said they would be open to a sequel. Well, it's, it, they, so the book came out in 95, um, and there were three more books to the series, two prequels and a sequel, but it yeah. didn't appear till 2017, 2020, and 2021. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, so she didn't return to these characters or anything for a good almost 20 years. Oh, no, well, 20, 22 years book-wise. Wow. So, okay, well, then, if that's the case, I would love to see a sequel or a miniseries. Like, HBO, give them a 10-parter. Like, give make it the new Big Little Lies, but a practical magic lies. Um, and give you I mean, give me a ten part miniseries with these characters because I would watch Nicole Gimmon and Sandra Bullock play Jillian and Sally again in a heartbeat. Bring back Soccer Channing and Diane Weiss who still have not aged for thirty years. Nope, they still exist. You you have a great miniseries that you need. Um, anyway, so Sandra Bullock, she's in love, has the perfect family, and then for some whatever reason, the curse is enacted or whatever the world was like you're too happy fuck you and the beetle makes his noise and in thankfully not meet joe black fashion you don't see him get hit by a car oh yeah you just see, um because i mean i still will never understand how which that came out came. uh these movies were playing in the same theaters at this point actually interesting well yeah. We all know, and that clip went viral like two years ago. It got, well, like, it got uh, so there was a what do you remember? E bombs world, yep, that was sold as like an actual death video on that because there, cause there was like weird stuff on that e bombs world site where it was like actual death. And I like watched it one time, I was like, oh crap, and then someone and it's like, oh wait, it's me, Joe Black, <laughs> like. Yeah, which it's so bizarre and awkward the way he was hit by a car. Like, how did that? It really kills the vibe of that movie where you just watch him like literally flail through the air, up in the air. At least Practical Magic does a hit by a car much more subtle where you just see fruit flying as opposed to. You get like a weird cut of him moving away, but it's it's like fast in there, but you don't see connecting. You see him flying a little bit. You do? I don't even remember that. It's like really fast. I saw like him like. No, oh, I didn't yeah. see that. I just saw the fruit flying and I saw Sandra Bullock's like gasp when she realizes because like the witchy sense power that she has um, kind of was like, no. And then she goes into a deep depression. So mm-hmm. this movie just really hit hard when the love of her life and she had her family and she had everything she ever wanted and and her future plans and her goals and ambitions that we're going to start a little like shop together and all the things. I'm just gonna cry. I loved Michael, even though he had like no speaking roles. Yeah, he had no. Kids. You like what he I, meant to her. Yeah, um, I do love what he meant to her, but I also, personal preference, found him more attractive than Aiden Quinn. But again, not that Aiden Quinn's unattractive. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying, for me, my personal tra- like thing is, I would have been more attracted to a Michael than I would. Uh, right? Aiden. Was this Aiden Quinn's like last? Like, well, I'm a hunky guy in a leading type yeah. role movies. 
my mom loved Aiden Quinn in this movie too. He was a moment in this movie. Like women loved him after oh, okay. that. Um, yeah, no, he was, he, he, I, I feel like Mike, yeah, Michael, who I think he did sitcoms after this movie, I feel like. Anyway, uh, Michael, I loved. Now he's dead. Sandra Bullock is heartbroken and miserable and realizes that her life is terrible because she'll always be haunted by this weirdness inside of her that is being a witch. And she doesn't know how to reconcile that. And yet she has to now move in with her aunts um, to like help raise her kids because now she's, which I kind of don't fully under, like I do when I don't like Sandra Bullock's mom and dad, both. Well, Nicole Kim and Dan Sandra Bullock, Jillian Sally's parents, both of them died, which makes sense. They would live with the aunts, but like Sandra Bullock, I guess, moved in with the aunts for just emotional support but she could have raised them on her own, but I guess she didn't have to because the ants was so welcoming. I don't know. I just value and appreciate the fact that the ants were going to be like, come on in, stay with us. But Sandra Bullock's character was like, we're going to live with you, but no witchcraft. These kids are not going to be filled with nonsense. And that's one of the best lines in this movie where um, like, uh, who said that? I wanted to say it's Diane Weiss characters like, oh, we don't, tell them any nonsense or something like that um which goes oh, yeah. to show that. yeah so now sandra bullock is living with the two aunts um and with her two kids while nicole kidman is out living her wild life like living with men and all the things and i was like oh my god how did i become nicole kidman how did I become an equal? So this movie was just like looking well, in a mirror for a few the minutes. Mo- the montage here kind of reminded me. It, it felt like they were having a uh, Forrest Gump and Jenny moment here with showing where their lives were at, where she's living yes. this more like, I don't know, like not quite that, but like she's out like party and then she suffers consequences from her reckless life of such or whatever. Um, while Sandra Bullock's is just, calm at home doing doing things what people do or whatever and yeah um, and it was it very much reminded me of that and that's like all i want and that's what (laughs) makes me sad is because i'm out here literally living the life of nicole kidman like i have not spent a weekend home in probably five months right now because i can't emotionally handle just being home alone Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going out and just doing whatever I can as a distraction, which I feel like Nicole Kidman's character really, in a lot of ways, is I think the way she cope, like the way she copes with um, that curse. I, I think she internalized it so much more than you realize. Like Sandra Bullock mm-hmm. kind of faced it head on. But Nicole Kidman's like thing is, I love love. I love this. I want this. I want this. But I feel like all of that really is not necessarily like suppressing her in like true nature, but it's more of her just living so care. I use the word carefree loosely here, but kind of this carefree um, uh, uh, vagabond lifestyle type thing, because I think she thinks that's all that's possible for her. Yeah. Like she's swept up in these romances, but again, is it, actual love or is it just passion and that's the difference is Sandra Bullock had true like genuine love and connection and family and things that she desired and Nicole Kidman's kind of just gallivanting around in this sexual freedom and exploration which again 
I'm not criticizing. I'm literally living that life right now as I go places every freaking weekend just to not have to think about everything I don't have that I desperately had and wanted and still want. So, I mean, like, it's well, the, easy for me to live Nicole Kidman's life right now, but it's not easy to live Sandra Bullock's. Yeah, well, the, I mean, to, to Nicole Kidman, to Jilly's uh, thing, like, maybe she sees the part in which the curse happens is the settling, but there's a lot of uh, stuff you can enjoy leading up to that settling. So as long as she can break away by the time before any kind of settling, she can still have the joys of what she finds love maybe is the early moments of it the discovery the adventure of all that and then she can just keep enjoying that and to her that's what she can have and then the settling is where the danger comes and then it comes with a lot of responsibility and a lot of risk oh my god i'm gonna cry again um yeah this is like the ultimate queer movie ever made (laughs) because um Literally, that is the mindset of most every man. Um, They basically, like, the minute they get comfortable and have, like, joy and happiness, they go, nope, we want just the early stages of whatever and don't want the responsibility and don't want any of the other stuff. So, so, and I get why, because it's, like, so much pain. And then, um, and then Sandra Bullock saying, like, bring him back and the ants being like we can't do that because what we're bringing back is not him and if that's not an analogy for an ex relationship i don't know what is because if you break Mm -hmm. up do you get back together and are they going to be the same person or can you ever trust them again or can you whatever anyways i'm getting off topic but she says Mm -hmm. he died because i loved him so much and that movie just destroyed me because sometimes Mm -hmm. when you love somebody so much they get overwhelmed and then they just run away too so Mm. anyway the first 12 minutes of this movie put you know what you just opened a door for me because i just you just the when you love someone so much at the runaway i'm like there's the i was looking for something like there's something deeper to this that's a social commentary that i'm not picking up on and you just oh that's that was exactly it that i was looking for not that they they die or anything it's that they would run away because you're so full of it and it's hidden throughout uh that with that curse of it um and then being afraid to love someone so much because they might do that, uh, for sure. Um, and that's what I was writing a book on for kids. But <laughs> so practical magic clearly has impacted my life in a right. lot of ways. But it touches on that. And just her being so desperate to get him back. But it's somewhat, I don't know. I've never lost a romantic loved one to death. I clearly have through non-death of them just literally disappearing. Mm -hmm. But um, so I don't know the difference, but it's like, so I can't, I I can't speak on anybody, but it'd be one of those things where if you lose someone to death, there is a certain level of closure beyond like watching the person you love just not love you anymore. Continue living on without you and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, which I don't know because I don't ever want to lose somebody to death either right and i can't imagine that but i do know widows who struggle tremendously over that because that is a pain that you can never really imagine because you have something and then it's literally fully out of out of reach into like a spiritual thing so this movie takes it to the extreme of like when you have true happiness it's just ripped away from you um and this takes it literally to death as opposed to just not being able to handle 
having that level of love and connection with somebody. So it's just really, it's just layered. And Sandra Bullock is really me, but I'm, I'm a Sandra Bullock trying to be a Nicole Kidman to distract myself from the pain of reality. It is my current state of 2022, um, which is why I've not been home for any weekend. Um, so that is why this movie was very like kind of a hard rewatch um, for me. And again, we're only like 20 minutes into this movie yeah. and I've had all of these thoughts go through my head. If we have like, if I was doing a recording of me watching this movie, it would have been a lot different too, because oof. Um, so anyway, point is he dies. Um, Sandra Bullock's life's in a shambles. She's living with her aunts. And now Nicole Kidman, who's in Florida at this point, I think, um, travels back. And this is before cell phones um, and all that fun stuff. So they write letters mm-hmm. to each other. It's very cute. Um, right. I really appreciate the letter writing. Um, Nicole Kidman comes back. Um, and that's the other thing. And too, like I left out the other detail is this is a true sister friendship and connection and bond because it's not, there's no forced conflict between them. They allow each other to live their lives, but still support each other. When Sandra Bullock, when Nicole Kidman says as like, I guess a teenager or something, they do like a weird in-between moment um, before Sandra Bullock gets married, where Nicole Kidman runs away with a man. Sandra mm-hmm. Bullock's not like, are you sure? Is this a good idea? I don't think you should do it. I'm going to tell our aunt. She goes like, live your life, have these experiences, do what you need to do for yourself. I'm here for you. And there's a level of support and acknowledgement and recognition that both of their needs are different. Both of these sisters are both different, yet still united and still blood related and still family. And yet they're going to allow them to have their they don't criticize each other's choices or their wants or their desires or their futures, but they allow them to breathe into it. And yet they still listen to the stories. And a lot of movies want to like pit people against each other. And this movie doesn't pit women against each other. Nope. Um, at least in the central characters, it does within the town, but that's all right. from ignorance. Um, so like the main conflict of like all the townsfolk and like these women is the ignorance of what witches really are, but the actual right. central core characters are not impeded by forced or convoluted or judgmental conflicts, um, which is just refreshing um, that you actually kind of see that these sisters are like, well, we love each other and we have different desires and we have different ones. And we're not going to say you're terrible or bad because you, you like these things, but we're going to just, you know, live our lives and we're not going to ever be a part of each other's mm-hmm. lives. And, and I think they recognize that if they do start attacking and criticizing each other for their behavior, that's what would tear them apart, not the actual actions itself. But if they don't kind of step into each other's or um, if they're just they have empathy mm. for each other. Right. Basically, one sentence. They're, they're very empathetic towards each other's needs and towards their differences. Um which then comes out later in the Margarita Midnight scene, which is one of the most brilliant scenes in movie history of just natural ease and feels like family. Um, Anyway, so Nicole Kidman comes back and um, because Sandra Bullock is crying in bed, miserable that the love of her life is gone and dead and she's sad, living in a home with her aunts again, knowing that she can never love again, because if she does, she's going to go through this pain and heartbreak 
all over because of the stupid family curse. And Nicole Kimmons like, let it out, cry, do what you got to do. But you know what? You're going to have to brush your teeth at some point because mm-hmm. your breath stinks. Your and breath, uh, yeah. we got like, it's just, I believe them as sisters, even though they look nothing alike. And Nicole Kidman's accent is still Nicole Kidman. And Sandra Bullock is just the delightful Sandra Bullock. Well, it's cinematic um, yin and yanging, yin and yeah. yanging visually. And I'd buy it too, because there's the scene where uh, Nicole Kidman first comes back and they're hanging up and hanging out up in the room, and there's something so genuine and natural about it. The way both the performers are, the way they stage it, um, when she's telling her stories and Sandra Bullock's in the bed, just like that, and it's just, I, I was like really caught in that. Moment. I was like, wow, they they are so, like I, I could have just tuned the movie in right now and gotten a whole lot just from that. And that's a testament to their performances, which I don't think people give enough credit to in this movie where there's like, oh, the plot's clunky. I was like, just watch their eyes. Just watch just the moments in between the dialogue between them. And you can fill in so many gaps of just what's happening. Not even gaps in the story. It's just gaps that they don't have time to show you because this can't this isn't a miniseries. So well, part, part of the right. problem is, too, when you're talking about that, these two are great in damn near probably everything they're in not damn near everything they're in they are two of elite performers that you'll never leave a movie they were in not liking it because of something they did exactly they're just on another level and Mm. they can bring something like this could be a lesser movie big time with you know two different performers because i think personally for me they, they like this the script you know we talked about a choppy movie but these two elevate the movie a probably like a level above what it what it was on paper like i i think they add that much to it and then to add even to have even more in your back pocket the Diane we Stucker Channing add yep. even more so yep. to sit through this and not just enjoy watching them tear up the screen chew scenery have great chemistry with one another that's you know and i honestly i need even if they're not witches or anything i need nicole kidman and sandra bullock um hiding solving murders or covering up murders more often because it's a hell of a lot of fun to watch them go through that yeah agreed which now leads us to the actual like subplot of this movie which you would think would be the main plot of this movie is nicole kidman came back to like kind of support Sandra Bullock during her mourning period of time. And then Nicole Kidman now has a problem where, again, I relate to these characters way more than I should as an adult, which I didn't fully appreciate in 1998 when I saw this in theaters. Um, but Nicole Kidman is in this whirlwind romance with this man. Um, what's his actual Jim, character? Jimmy Angelov. Jim, Jimmy Goron, I remember. Um, because I remember I like... I had a moment with a Goron in New York once. So I, I, that name is like, Oh, I know a Goron. Anyway. Um, his character is Jimmy. Um, Nicole Kidman now is with this man sweeping romance, but things get a little out of hand and he is not the romantic type that you would expect. Um, toxic masculinity, violence against women, you know, throw all that into a nineties movie. You got to, you have to have a woman be like attacked and, um, all those fun things. 
um, that they suffer with still to this day. So now Sandra Bullock has to like kind of come to Nicole Kidman's like side to help her out of this kind of very toxic relationship that at first didn't feel like a toxic relationship, which again, very hits too close to home for me right now. Um, not recently, but just like back in my 20s. Um, Sandra Bullock is too close to current Greg reality. Nicole Kimmon is too close to 20s Greg reality. But now I'm reverting back to Nicole Kimmon reality after experiencing Sandra Bullock. For you listeners, if that made sense, good job. Anyway, Nicole Kimmon, abusive boyfriend. Sandra Bullock tries to protect her. And um, they accidentally kill him. Whoops. <laughs> so now Sandra Bullock's terrified of all this thing. And now this like loving movie about sisters and witches and family has turned into a and loss <laughs> like you know yeah a murder mystery well we know what happened but nobody else does so their solution for this problem which um they come up with is to bring the body back to life because you can and then you didn't kill them if they did that and this is where i had a slight problem with this movie but not really um, because it still works, but um, so dead body, they bring him back to life, and I love that <laughs> Sandra Bullock is like, I need something white to write with, and Nicole Kidman within three seconds turns around and grabs whipped cream and said, "It's all I can find." It was like you looked for less than three seconds. You didn't even try to They're find. They're in a panic. A They're in a panic. Yeah, I I just but it's it's funny because it works so well. And in reality, you're like, you didn't even look. You just grabbed the first thing you saw and it was whipped cream, which who lives with like leaves whipped right. cream on the counter like that. Anyway, um, so they do the spell and they try to bring him back to life, which, again, we've been warned about already because this movie really does acknowledge your prior plot points that do pay off in a lot of ways. The witches say like their aunts say like, oh, we can't bring michael back sandra bullock's dead love um because they're not the same so now nicole kidman and sandra bullock are bringing back this asshole to life and the spell works and he comes back to life and they kill him again because he's crazy and he kill and he like starts strangling nicole kidman and here's what i'm wondering this is like one thing that i had a thought of during this movie rewatch is okay Man comes back, mm -hmm. he's hostile, he's violent, he's screaming at Nicole Kimmon, you will marry me, I will marry you, whatever it is. He's basically, you will be my wife. And he's like strangling her. And Sandra Bullock knocks him over the head. At that point, he is currently inside their house. Nicole Kimmon already has an established relationship with him. Why couldn't have they just called the police when he died again? And said we had an intruder and he started strangling her and we knocked him over the head. And couldn't they have gotten away with self-defense on his second murder? Because if a man like, yes, he didn't come into the house on his own accord mm -hmm. because he was dead when he's brought in. But technically they wouldn't have known that. So they could have said he broke into the house and started to attack Nicole Kimmon and Sandra Bullock knocked him over the head with a pan. Mm. That's what I'm wondering. I don't know. I could be wrong, but I just feel like he was very volatile very aggressive and they killed him again because he clearly was going to kill them if they right. didn't do it first but they were doing it in their house and i feel like there's enough laws that would have protected an intruder home invasion and they could have probably gotten away with that a little bit more so than the way it played out at the actual end of this movie where it was just like 
<laughs> demon ghost. Whoops. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. So I feel like if they brought him back to life, when I rewatched it, I totally forgot of what actually happened at the end of this movie because I only cared about the sisters. But I did have that feeling as like, oh, that's smart. They bring him back to life and then they can get him like arrested or they can get him like killed. Because for some reason, I didn't realize it was a ghost at the end. I thought it was. I thought it was like zombie version of him at the end. I didn't mm. think it was ghost. Well, anything. it's kind of, I mean, it's visually very zombie like, um, which reminded me like Griffin Dunn. He was in American Werewolf in London. And this looks very much like a clean version of American Werewolf in London when he sees his dead friend. True. Uh, in that, um, there was a great line when um, they were bringing him back, and uh, you know something. It might be they said the aunt said be dark and unnatural, and Nicole Kim is like Jimmy is already dark and unnatural. I don't care what he comes back as. <laughs> right, like this, but that's uh, I well, love it. And it was great. great. I also like when after they kill him, and Nicole Kim is like, "Please God, I'll have babies." And I'm like, <laughs> one, I'm like, oh, so you're a witch, and you're like religious. And then, and then when uh, Sandra Bullock goes all cold, like I had babies, I had normal. If this keeps going, I will never have normal again. Yeah, I was like, geez. And that's the thing about this movie is it's actually playing into these themes of like what is normal, and that the ants are like, what it like the ants keep questioning what is normal, like the lives for the ants that it this is normal for them, so. Like this, this concept, this abstract concept that Sandra Bullock is grasping towards of normalcy is kind of this um, anomaly. Like there isn't there. The point of this movie is to show you there is no actual normal. Normal is the reality you create for yourself yeah. within the world that you're in. But we 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 um, perceive normal in a certain way based like our perception allows us to see normal just like social media nowadays allows us to think like certain things are joyful or happy yet we're really suppressing our oh, yeah. sometimes so this movie is like social media before social media even of kind of this sandra bullock looking outward at all these kind of in more of the movies theme simple lives mm-hmm. as normal viewing them when the reality is her life is actually quite beautiful in its own way, but she doesn't recognize the beauty in it because she only sees the faults in her own life. So this movie kind of is layered in a lot of ways, again, masked in this weird, like cursed demon abusive boyfriend, but who hasn't had an abusive boyfriend before? Am I right? (laughs) Uh, Maybe not you, but um, raise your hand. I'm raising my hand. So um anyway so nicole came in they bring the guy back to life and they kill him again they decide to bury him in the backyard that still boggles my mind because i feel like they could have gotten out of it but either way they bury him in the backyard and shit starts getting weird and um and then i'm trying to remember when did um what what caused um, Aiden Quinn to show up again. The uh, letter. So she sent a letter before Nicole Kidman called her needing help. She mailed a letter to her uh, about stuff, and she put it in the mailbox. And the call came, and then she went to see her and never took it out because she was not going to mail the letter. She she was going to change her mind, but then Nicole Kidman called, and she went. And so the met- letter got mailed anyway, and it went yeah. to. She was living with Jimmy Angelov, and the detect. He was a uh in quince is a detective and he was and that was in the mail um so he went to trace that letter where it Got came it. from um, that's right 
and the letter that he read over a thousand times, which is what brought him here because he loves Sandra Bullock so much. Uh, I love this movie. Um, Yeah. And uh, so, and if we haven't spoiled that already, Aiden Quinn is the man that Sandra Bullock dreamt up as a child of who like loves horses favorite favorite shape is a star can do the flapjacks and, flapjacks and the one eye blue one eye green yep. moment which her children picked up on because they found that in the book so her children knew about all these things and then so he shows up and they're like oh he can flip flapjacks oh one eye blue and one eye green and yet jilly nicole kidman wants to get rid of the detective of course so tries to do and i love and again, they still have the guy's car they still have jimmy angelov's car sitting parked at their place yep and he does say something about that but yep. i sandra bullock's reaction is also so endearing and brilliant when her two kids run off from the table off like they run towards a cliff too that's even funnier to me mm-hmm. they run towards a cliff with the syrup that's been like spiked with a potion um to banish this man because the kids are like oh my god my mom's dream man like i love that the kids are playing cupid in that moment like you don't really realize like sandra bullock has no idea but like the kids are playing cupid they're like we can't send aiden quinn away he's the man that mom dreamt about when she was a child so they run away with this her true like, love, not our dad, her true yeah. love. <laughs> I know they're a little like, yeah, there, there's a lot of acceptance in this movie, which I just appreciate because right. what can you do? When somebody dies, what can you do? At this there's point? like, I, yeah, that's one thing I was, I, that not while I was watching it, but after, and I'm thinking and I'm writing notes, I'm like, she has no hesitation of like, normally I hear about people, they lose a spouse, like, they feel this guilt in moving on or so there's like none of that here. Um, and it's just like, what was he? <laughs> Other side of forgotten act one thing that and they're like, here's my true love. I, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's weird. It's, it's kind of weird. It just decides to go with it with the Aiden Quinn thing and just make you realize it's, it's a help for her to move on and to people to be happy. But I was just like, there's just I, really this movie doesn't have time for her to sit and wallow in moving on no. because she's already got her sister. She's got a murder plot. She's covering up. This guy has come here. That's like matches what she made up and wasn't supposed to exist. Um, and the town coming together. Yeah. But yeah, I don't like view Aiden Quinn as a true. Like, I mean, he's another love and he's the one that like she dreamt about. But not dreamt about, like she concocted, but she said it herself. And that was another brilliant line in this movie when he abruptly kind of makes a pass at her after she can, like, confesses to murder. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if that doesn't get you hot and bothered, I don't know what does. <laughs> um, like, he, she literally was like, Well, what if I did kill him? And he's like, Well, I think you should stop talking, but I'm going to kiss you now. So that scene was a little abrupt, but I mean, the tension was already, the sexual tension was already there and it's Sandra Bullock and I get it. And she was into it. So it wasn't like he was being like pervy using his power cop moves on her. I mean, she was into it, but she was conflicted. But at one point she says like, how will I know if this is not just the spell that I cast or if this is real and how will you know if this is like not me, what you wanting to say or the correct. So I don't think that, like, I think had Michael not have died, I think she wouldn't, I do not believe 
that you'd be longing for someone else. I yeah. don't, I, I just think that the only way for her to get out of it was to show that this man, but also she was a child who didn't know what love was and also kind of Frankensteined her like future love with like these arbitrary traits that really are like reflect- Frankenberry cereal with chocolate milk in it. Yeah. And yeah, no, I so get, yeah, it's not, it's not a matter of like actual, like this is the true love of my life, but it's more of there is love still out there for you. At least the way I interpret it is there mm-hmm. is still love out there after you lose love. Um, I don't, I think this movie doesn't so much go into like, there is only one soulmate for you, but more of you can experience love in different ways and you can recover and you can heal. But again, this wasn't like a, a 104 minute movie or 114 minute movie. Um, and it can't like go into depth about a murder mystery and a family curse and children and school and town antics and behavior and politics. Like it, it, it shoves a lot of themes into one movie. So I, I, I read between the lines and said, Aiden Quint, like for her, the only way she was going to get over her grieving period was with something she concocted as a child, as a dream for her to realize that there is right. still more out there. I don't think it is like, oh, dad's replacement, the person she was really meant to be with, because um, I, I think Michael probably would have been it, even though her aunts kind of coerced that into a reality too. The, um, aunt, the aunt Robin of Practical yeah. Magic, Aiden Quinn. Just yeah. <laughs> so I think, yeah, but here's the thing that I'm confused about is was the curse over after she met Aiden and Quinn? They broke or, it like, during the the, sisters e- the bond, not right? exorcism thing at the yes. end. They See, broke it. The curse during Frozen. that. Frozen just stole that. Like, I mean, Anna got hit by like Hans's sword and like thing, whatever happened. Um, and, and, and Elsa became unfrozen and Sandra Bullock cut her fan and put her blood with, um, with Nicole Kimmons and, and the spirit left and, and everything in that family is now safe and love prevails. Um, not only familiar love, but also romantic love. So now everybody can go and love and be free and happy. Again, the queerest story ever made as told by Nicole Kimmons and Sandra Bullock. Um, so and they never reprised this kiss. I thought they would. <laughs> like yeah, it's, a, it's a big song. I was like, it never came back. It was literally just open. Maybe, maybe it was because her. It was her and her husband's song. Her Michael's song. So they didn't want. Which to again, that, I yeah. value, but also because it leaned into the witch thing, and she embraced mm-hmm. her true self. And then it just went into Stevie Nicks territory by the end. Yeah. And oh yeah, it was a Stevie Nicks song over the credits, Stevie wasn't Nick. it? Yep. Yep. So, which a great soundtrack on this movie, which we'll get to. So anyway, point is, Aiden Quinn's there trying to solve the mystery of like how this man died. And he like found out because of a letter that Sandra Bullock wrote that he read and and he's trying to determine what happens. And the kids realize that this man is similar to this man that Sandra Bullock described as a child of like what her ideal man would be, which no child really knows what that means. I didn't know I would fall in love with a redhead, but here we are. I always thought my ideal man would be a brunette. So 
who knows as a child what you love and what you don't love, but her kids are childish and fun, throw syrup off a cliff. But Sandra Bullock's <laughs> reaction was like, I guess they don't want the syrup. And you're like, and Aiden Quinn's is standing next to her and no one thinks it's weird. Meanwhile, most parents in a movie, or at least in 2022, would be like, don't run towards the cliff, children. And what are you doing with our nice dishware? So um, it's a very funny scene, but Sandra Bullock is just very charming as a mother with her two children in that moment where she allows her kids to frolic off run like off a rocky high cliff and throw the syrup pot um syrup little dripper into the Mm -hmm. ocean for whatever reason but you know her kids are skipping and joyful and Sandra Bullock values more that more than the object that the syrup is in and I think that scene is oddly powerful in a weird way what was in um, that syrup yeah what was in that syrup but it was just there was something very powerful in that moment of just the mom not getting mad the kids like being joyful and cheerful it still like freaked me out that they were on a cliff like i like actually like like grasped my chest it was like don't fall children like oh, you know you're an adult mm. when you watch children on screen in dangerous situations you're like don't fall um but if sandra bullock was calm i can be calm too uh so anyway they they do their thing he's there he's finding out what happened sandra bullock's overcome with guilt so she decides and i already spoiled this she decides to like confess to the murder because like the body's doing weird right crap garden and raising and then that's when she goes to aiden quinn and she like sees the letter that she wrote and he's like oh i read it just a couple of times lying to her and then they like start making out and like getting hot and heavy and then she's like i can't do this and then like runs away and then with movie magic she runs back home and miraculously like as she runs back home her kids are screaming running down the stairs and sandra bull or uh, nicole kimmins having like the exorcism like the exorcist moment like flailing in bed um all uh like linda blair yep. or emily rose or everybody and else. quinn wants to shoot her and well, and Aiden comes- Quinn miraculously is minutes behind Sandra Bullock, not even minutes, like seconds mm-hmm. behind her. But I mean, it did establish that Sandra Bullock ran home. And I'm wondering if Aiden Quinn drove, which is like how they ended up like being simultaneously, like kind of getting there almost at the same time. Possible. But I'll, I'll, I'll allow it. I'll, I support that. I'll, I approve. Um, so he like goes in there, sees like Nicole Kimmons, like flaily little like exorcist moment. And then all of a sudden through movie magic, the body of Jimmy like comes out of her and Aiden Quinn's like, what the hell is going on, everybody? What am I looking at? What is going like? He didn't know what was happening. And um, then he gets branded like he touches because apparently a deputy badge is just as powerful as a crucifix and a cross like in the exorcist and he's burned by aiden's um by aiden's um, badge mm-hmm. that he tries silver he, yeah it's the silver badge we're just blending themes here vampires ghosts all the same apparently um but he like tries to rip out aiden's heart but instead gets burned by his badge that's like protecting his heart and then disappears into into dust for a minute. And Aiden Quinn's very confused. And the sisters are like, what the hell was that? And Sandra Bullock is like, well, we need to do something. And that's where the ants finally come back in to say, oh, this really is a big problem. Well, you know what that requires? Teamwork. See, this is fun. 
And now the whole town comes together and it's my favorite moment. We need a coven. Uh, a lot of favorite moments. Nine women, 12's better. And um, and then they, so in between them, there's only six of them. There's the two aunts, the two sisters, and the two daughters. So there's six. And now they need more. And they've set this movie up very nicely with Sandra Bullock having her two co-workers who, again, brilliant actresses, uh, Margo. Um, Margo Martindale. Yep. Who is one of the co-workers. And uh, I don't know the other one, actually, who I was no. delightful. And I wonder if she's done more uh, movies. Um, Chloe Webb, is that who it was? Maybe. Anyway, um, the two kind of the only two people in the town who seem to embrace Sandra Bullock, who work in her little like lotion shop, um, not potion, but lotion. <laughs> I see what they did there. Um, <laughs> they were an apothecary before Schitt's Creek. Um, I wonder if that's where David got his inspiration for his apothecary. Did he just really love practical magic and was like, I want to do my own apothecary. Mm. Um, interesting. I wonder, I wonder, I want to put that into the like Schitt's Creek canon that David loves this movie. Um, anyway, um, so she has her two It friends. did remind me of that though, yeah. <laughs> right? And this was before all that. So again, when you think of like things currently in pop culture and you're like, oh, that reminds me of that. And you're like, this was before all that. Um, so there is a great moment too with Nicole Kidman showing up in the classroom uh, because um, apparently the phone tree mm-hmm. is a big deal in the school system and Sally never gets picked. Um, Sandra Bullock never gets picked because everybody thinks she's weird and a witch and mm-hmm. nobody really wants her to be in charge of anything. And then Nicole Kidman shows up and, you know, causes a little bit of subtle chaos within the classroom and changes the phone tree that Sandra Bullock finally gets to be the head of the phone tree so that if things happen around town and with the school, she's the one that sets the cause, which I don't know how that's the reward, but whatever, I guess it's a power complex thing, which I get because like you want to know what's going on and you're first to know. So I get it. Um, I would want to be the top of the phone tree too. Um, so Nicole Kidman makes that happen for Sandra Bullock. And now again, that comes back into play at the end of the movie. This movie sets up a lot and then it gives you a little bit of a payoff for everything. Mm -hmm. It kind of sets up in a very short movie, um, rather than it not going anywhere, it pays off. So the, the phone tree now, Sandra Bullock's like, Hey, everyone who hates me in this town. So, you know, how you all call me a witch surprise i really am one which i feel like so that was her coming out moment that's like her like Mm -hmm. i'm gay moment or whatever it may be and for some reason after all these years of torment in this town the town's finally like oh finally she's not trying to hide anything anymore we will accept her it's a very roundabout way of doing it but i value it and appreciate it but it's one of those things where like the town was only tormenting her because she wasn't accepting of herself. Yeah. Interesting. Like what, like, unfortunately that is not very like LGBTQ community friendly because like the minute you do reveal that, like you're usually not like, depending on where you are, not so welcomed. So it's kind of like the ideal situation is when you do say that about like yourself, everybody's like, great. Glad you're like comfortable being you. Well, we mentioned Shit's Creek. It's kind of like that. Like, yeah, just little podunk towns. Okay with that? Okay, sure. But yeah. And in this movie, they weren't okay with it until she opened up about it. Mm-hmm. But I guess, I guess it was the fear of the unknown in this town that was kind of causing the chaos and the distance and the separation because you didn't know why they were being secretive about it. I feel like the town was more 
on guard because it's like, what are they keeping a secret? What are, but the minute they opened up about it, they're like, oh, well, I guess it's not scary if they're sharing it with us. Maybe we were wrong this whole time and we were projecting on them like losers and idiots and ignorant. So, so I guess everybody in the town finally came to realize and all these women who are ostracizing Sandra Bullock and Nicole Kidman and the ants were like, wait, we get to go into the witch house because I feel like they always, but like Diane Weist was always so friendly. So all these years huh. in this town, nobody was like, can we come inside? Because Diane Weist would have let them inside. Right. Um, um, but nobody did that. And then like, who wouldn't want to be Sandra Bullock's friends? Let's be real. Like, come on. Anyway, um, they all wanted to be friends with them. Apparently this town genuinely did like these people, but just was so skeptical or doubtful or whatever mm-hmm. about him that once Sandra Bullock came out and that was an actual line in the movie is um, she actually says um, Sally just came out as like the um, I think Margot uh, Mattendale's character. I have the like, best news. Sally yeah. just It's Chloe Webb's character. Chloe uh, Webb. So, it is said, so who also you said familiar. She, yeah, yeah. Is, she is the Nancy of the movie Sid and Nancy. Uh, oh, she, okay. she did seven episodes of the first season of China Beach, uh, if you remember that show from back in the day, um, and she was also in Twins. That was her some of her notable movies that she was in. Um, well, there you go. So um, she has one of the great LGBTQ lines that she didn't realize at the time was is like Sally just came out in this profound way that she's sharing the news, and it's it's very celebratory. It's a celebratory moment of Sally like taking the initiative to do it. And that plays into something that like when um, the syrup moment, which I already talked about that I love, there was another important little line during that scene when um, the kids are talking. I think it's during the syrup scene. The kids are talking and they say something like um, she has all this power and she doesn't even use it. Or I don't I think it was one of the kids. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah. yeah. And that is also a kind of a profound line too, whether it's witchcraft or not. Sandra Bullock's character. Oh, I'm going to cry again. Um, There's a lot about her that she kind of lives with these guards. Like she is very clearly that she lives with a lot of guards up Mm -hmm. and she expresses that more openly than Nicole Kidman, who's also guarded, but in a very different way. Nicole Kidman guards herself by being more eccentric, by being sluttier, by being all these things, which is more of my go-to rather than kind of this internalized thing, I externalize a lot of my guards. Okay. Um, and and yet both of them aren't really in their own way, both sisters, Nicole Kidman and Sandra Bullock, but it's more placed, the burden's more placed in Sandra Bullock because she's looked at as, the movie does it. I don't, but the movie mm-hmm. kind of looks at her as more of the weaker one because Nicole Kidman's so like boisterous and eccentric and wild and all that. Right. And, kind of, and, and Sandra Bullock's a little bit more like internalized and, um, and just meeker in her approach to things. And yet everybody's like, use your power. Like she's not really recognizing all that's inside of her and letting her out. Um, and, and her kids recognize that. And there's something profound about that because once Sandra Bullock actually stops denying this part of herself, um, she's able to actually start having the life again that she wanted. She wanted normal. And by embracing these kind of eccentricities and these weird little aspects of her life that she thought separated her, 
it actually ended up being what united her with everybody in the town. Um, and that was in a non-traditional right. sense of her using her power. It wasn't witchcraft that was her power. It was just her being true to herself. That was her power. So again, like, this is why this is a very like kind of, um, an analogy to like kind of this LGBT stuff, ideally, like an idealized version, because this is not what happens for most coming out stories. Again, like if you look at Hocus Pocus, it's a completely different thing. Like the witches were like, we're witches. And they're like, burn them. Let's hang them. In this movie, it's like, we're witches. Oh boy. So again, this How is a very nice. idealized version of um, coming out, whatever that mm-hmm. may be in this case, it's still, but it is your differences. And ideally in an ideal world, coming out you would be welcomed and celebrated and people would want to learn more and understand that and you have that in this movie you have these women who were very critical of them now showing up to their house to do spells and for me i'd be like this is badass i'm on my way like call me like sign me up Mm -hmm. so they all come together and they even bring brooms like i like that it played into a little bit i did yeah they have the circle of brooms is really cool yeah like that little bit of like classic witch um, trope of like brooms. Like, why not? You're going to lean into it. Well, it even goes as far as to sweep it to the grave, too. That's what I yep. think is cool. I like that touch on it. Um, and there was no criticism of it. Like, they kind of just went in going like, we're being welcomed. They want us here. Well, they're and excited. Yeah. What's happening? Like, it wasn't just like a casual seance like they were in a full-on um horror movie well, at the end just with cute music i did notice yeah i was like this is the most pleasant montage build-up to an exorcism sequence in a movie i think i've ever seen it's like we're gonna get the demon out it's all good and then it got intense but the leading up to it the like the setup and everything was like lighthearted everybody having a gas oh yeah we're good they even have a scene where the kid is rolling Nicole Kidman in a chair and she's possessed and she's like ha we're having fun like i was like what? she's fully bound and tied up too yeah, like, and she's like ah! everybody shows up just like wow so this is what really does happen here meanwhile if you were to just isolate that scene of when they make the broom circle you would swear it was in a 2000s horror movie of is one this of like, the uh, like an friends. older craft movie like is that what this yeah, is? yeah. Yeah, that, but but nobody then and then like they're all banded together and they're all so joyful after they sweep the ashes yeah. of their dead evil spirit demon. So he was a garden. drug lord, right? He was killing. Yeah. He was a serial murderer. OK, OK, we're good. <laughs> uh, it's just it's so joyful. Like it has it has a knee ending. slapper. There's a knee slapper in there, too, because Stocker Channing and Diane Weiss are like, Oh, but oh, but oh, but oh, but oh, and what the women go, are we supposed to be saying this? Yes. I was like, like that was just, a good line. That was, I, I like that one a lot. I mean, I was like, at that point, I was like, I'm staying along with them. I'm like, I need my subtitles here. I want to know what they're saying because you just want to join in. And it mm-hmm. really is a celebration of like womanhood and empowerment and just queerness in its own way because you know i kind of wonder though are like soccer channing and diane weiss like maybe like fluid like i don't know they never really talked about their backstories as much they might Um, they might have you know been through it and just done with it and they're just too like my, my grandmother like my my grandfather 
one of my well, like I I had multiple grandparents, obviously, but uh, one of my my grandmother, she, my grandfather, he died when I was like all like like a couple weeks before my first birthday or something and then she like never dated or anything again she just decided to travel that uh, i don't know if she was hooking up with people or anything during that time but she was just content with just being herself going out with she she had travel friends that she would go out with them and just didn't seem to care and maybe yeah. they're at that point too i i don't know my my she just i never there was never any guy that I know. I mean, granted, I was a kid through this, but just go, I like I figure her and I were pretty honest with each other about things. She'd have told me about that, but I think she told me she just didn't care. She had no interest. She had kids and grandkids, and just wanted to. You know, she liked traveling a lot and and doing stuff like that with the family, and didn't need that. So maybe those two were at that stage. Probably. Um. They probably, I feel like they're, but I mean, like, they're still, to me, they're still young. You said they were like, what, 52 and 54. Right. Uh, so, but you know, I, whatever it is, this movie didn't prioritize that or really care about it. The love story was really just primarily for Sandra Bullock's character um, and Nicole Kidman. We don't know what her future holds in this whole thing, but we just know that she fell in love. Well, she didn't fall in love. She lusted over a very dominant, predatory attractive abusive man mm-hmm. that was shitty and abusive and they killed him and then like exercised his demon um and the whole town came together to do so um you know it's kind of like giving me a little bit of like two two wong fu vibes too when like stalker channing was beaten um in oh god i love two wong fu which again was before its time but um stalker channing was beaten by a man in that movie and oh and it's even giving me chocolate vibes when like that one woman had the abusive husband and she like got out of the, our abusive boyfriend or husband. And she got out of that. And like, um, and, um, Julia Binoche's character kind of was like, I'm going to protect you in this or not protect you, but I'm going to like get you out of it. So like all these movies in the like nine, late nineties, um, really just like, we're like, screw you abusive men. Um, despite needing to be plot points. Anyway, the town banded together to get rid of this abusive man and they didn't even question it. I just loved too that it was a ghost or like a demon spirit Mm -hmm. and the town was like, oh, I wish. And I think that other woman after it's done is like, wait, can we do that to my ex or something? Like, didn't she say that too? Like another woman was like, can we do this? Does this work on my Mm -hmm. ex too? Um, The fact that they just, at the end of the day, they found their similarities were stronger than their differences and they came together to take down a demon in this romance movie and um and then of course aiden quinn leaves the town and then comes back to the town but he like absolves them of any murder saying it was an accidental death sure um and Sandra Bullock's kids are very delighted when she kisses another man um that's not their dead father um so <laughs> the end uh yeah this movie has like as you've noticed through our discussion a little bit of everything and while we were while I was kind of discussing the plot and the things of it we skipped past one of the best scenes in movie history the margarita the midnight margarita scene um which they actually did drink Sandra Bullock and Nicole Kidman mm-hmm. and Diane East and Sucker Channing. Um, but I think that scene is one of the best scenes filmed on camera to show 
like actual friendship and family. It felt so organic, so natural, the peaks and valleys of their laughter. And yet the little pointed and darted like jabs that they were taking at each other yet through laughter and tears and just that that release of everything they've been holding in on each other. Mm-hmm. And yet the criticisms were all coming from love and Sandra Bullock being like, your special power is being a slut or like, that's not a special power. Oh, yeah, yeah. A slut. And, um, and belching. Him calling you, what? And the belch. And the belch. It's just all of that just felt real like i felt like i wasn't watching a movie that scene doesn't feel like you're yeah. watching a movie it feels like you're watching a, like a an unscripted moment behind the scenes of just this family having a night together and bonding and sharing and releasing and it's really beautiful to watch because they do they 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 laugh with each other they share things they like they criticize each other they get angry they get annoyed but they still realize everything's coming from a place of love nothing is coming from a derogatory negative place and then it's all disrupted when they realize that the alcohol they've been drinking is the demon alcohol um that jimmy likes um the dead demon right so um, um, that, and, and the ants just walk away and just kind of, and that's, again, the ants don't just go, what did you do? They go like, oh, we can't be bothered. And they just disappear off and off the staircase and let the two sisters deal with their own mistakes and then show up when they need to again. So it's just really a beautiful family moment um, that was actually filmed under the influence of tequila. Yes. Um, I have to, I have to add to the, um, so I mentioned it's written by uh, Robin Swicord and, and Akiva Goldsman. Goldsman was coming off of Batman and Robin uh, at the time. This was his follow up to that. Uh, but he'd, he'd written The Client and Batman Forever and A Time to Kill. Um, and then he w- wrote A Beautiful Mind right after this. But Swicord, um, she wrote the 1994 Little Women movie. And she'd go on to write uh, Benjamin Button, Matilda. Um, but she directed the movie, and I, I think she wrote, may have wrote too, uh, Jane Austen Book Club. Have you seen that one? I have. So when I saw that note, when I noted that when I was looking her up and stuff, things started clicking. And I and I saw the Jane Austen Book Club on a plane flight probably like 15, 16 years ago maybe. So, well, how old is that movie? I can't remember. Um but I was remember that the, there was like a cadence, a struck, and a, like a structure and kind of feeling to a lot of the like sitting around in a kitchen or the bedroom scenes that I was like feeling like this had too. So I feel like uh, we, I think she should get some kind of credit for some of the strength of some of the how these scenes play out that we like so much. And I and I feel like her touches coming through in a script that she co-wrote with, which I'm imagining Gold Goldsman comes into like maybe spruce up some of the like supernatural scenes or something like that. Yeah. I, d- I don't know um, what he would, would have been brought in for, but I couldn't find, but like, I feel like the, all of the, the stuff we're highlighting, talking about with the relationships and stuff like that. I think that's why cord really, that's part of her touch because I've, I, I, even though I saw Jane Austen book club, didn't really care for that movie. And it's so long ago and on a plane it struck a chord with me that there's some sort of semblance visually and and audibly and on paper with it 
that goes with it that I instantly struck a chord that I'm like, that person has something. There's there's a thing when you get a, um, a one of her scripts or productions or something that she does bring to the table. So hmm. there's, there's something I felt there, which... Maybe I'm off my rocker, but it was weird that that oh, clicked with me that makes sense. Um, when I when I saw that. So um, definitely noticed it in the yeah, the margarita scene. Uh, anytime they're in like the kitchen, I was like, and I was like, yeah, that's very much like this one scene I remember in Jane Austen book club or this. Yeah, so um, yeah, There's so I, one scene in the kitchen that you just said the kitchen that you uh, that is also a brilliant line of dialogue. That now let's see is fourth time i'm about to start crying um when nicole Kidman's talking to the daughters Sandra Bullock's mm-hmm. daughters, they're making the syrup potion and um she's and i'm forgetting what was leading up to it they want to get rid of them and she said something about like okay have you ever just like spun around really really fast and like that like moment where she's talking about like spinning around like the daughter's like of course i do that she's like okay when you're doing that, like you need to find like a point to focus on because if you don't, you're going to like, um, you're going to spin and then you can't see where you're going to fall and (laughs) try to keep it together. Um, that line hit way too hard on this rewatch for me right now, because Mm -hmm. there's something about that where everything in like these sisters lives right now, feels like it's spiraling. I mean, they're under investigation for a murder, I currently am not under investigation for a murder, nor have I committed one. So we'll never be in that situation. It's good to know. But so I can't compare that. But I do feel like things are spinning out of control for me. Um, and there was something about just the way that analogy hit me of it's true when you are spinning and you're twirling. And if you don't find kind of that center point and you don't, lean into or you and you keep doing it then you are going to fall off then you will fall and collapse but if you keep a focus then you can like kind of spin and get back to your center and um and nicole kitman's way of doing that was like creating this potion um which wasn't the most effective way of doing it and i feel like i'm i'm spinning right now and i can't find my center like i felt like this entire year i've been spinning and i haven't been able to find my center which is why i've been doing all the things and trying to like make my life interesting and going on adventures and traveling or doing whatever I can to just find what the reality is. I'm just actually adding more momentum to the spinning and I'm afraid what's going to happen if I slow down because I'm going to fall and I don't want to fall. So that line just hit me really hard. Um, Just the way she so like delivered that to the two kids and the kids are just like, Oh, it's so fun. And like, when you are a kid, you just spin around in a field and you fall all the time, but there's no consequence for really falling in a field because it's fun. Um, or you can spin like Jennifer Love Hewitt does. And I know what you did last summer when she's calling out for a killer. <laughs> but like, I'm at a point where like, I feel like I'm falling, but it's not going to be grass that I'm landing on. And, um, and I just thought that was an interesting analogy. And it just, that scene was just, I feel like it was a well, well done to speak to kids about it because I feel like kids could understand what that means. Mm-hmm. And um and as an adult, you kind of realize the impact of it. So I just think this movie is is a collection of beautiful scenes with beautiful performances in a very strange, slightly convoluted mystery romance plot. Like 
the plot really is secondary to the scenes and the relationships and the moments. So if you're going in to watch this movie as a like, oh, I just want to be in a movie for two hours um, for the story, this isn't really for you. Um, but if you really care about relationships and just life lessons, then this really is a movie for you. So there you go. That's how I look at it. Awesome. Anyway, um, yeah, I will. I that's probably all I have to say because I'll probably cry even more. Gotcha. Um, um, oh, and then there's that weird scene in the greenhouse too. Sorry, mm-hmm. I just thought of that too. Um, where Sandra Bullock gets a little like coy and like playful with Aiden Quinn. Mm, yeah. um, especially when she's like, "Did you kill him?" She's like, "Yeah, twice." I was like, <laughs> "Like it?" I. Like she's telling the truth where like the truth is almost more absurd than the reality of it. Right. What's happening. Like she can't be a killer. Like she's not. And that scene to me solidified their love. I think in that gotcha. moment, I really felt the connection between the two of them and Sandra Bullock kind of gaining her strength back a little bit um, mm-hmm. in that coy little moment in the greenhouse. So, gotcha. Okay. That's all I have to say. All right. Did you know this movie had two scores? What do you mean? <laughs> so they did a score on the original cut of the film, and then they yoinked it. Um, and Alan Silvestri, who did the score to Back to the Future, uh, among other uh, things, came in and replaced uh, Michael Nyman's score uh, that was called, they, they said it was too European-sounding and obtrusive. So Silvestri put it out. But it was too late because all the soundtrack albums had gone to pressing on CD. So when it first came out on disc, it didn't match anything in the movie. And so they had to release a volume two of the score uh, for the movie. Uh, Because like I said, the studio came in and tinkered it after that first cut and the score went as well. So completely replaced. Um, And there was also a... um, So somebody liked the cult aspect a classic aspect of this um really did resonate um it was sent to pilot in 2004 for a tv series called sudbury that didn't get picked up with kim delaney and jerry ryan as sally and jillian and also starring kat dennings and asai morales uh on the show as well I love Kat Dennings. Did not I mean, get picked I love everybody up. Everybody just mentioned. So somewhere um, I tried to dig it up. Somewhere around there is a is a uh, forty five minute pilot uh, directed by Brian Spicer for uh, this series that never happened. Um, and then apparently back in twenty nineteen, uh, HBO Max uh, ordered a prequel se- series to pilot, but that has not surfaced at all well maybe they'll listen to this podcast and realize that this movie has a lot to it a lot more it, to it than they give it it's currently for it. running on hbo max so they believe it in it somehow uh but yeah so i mean this movie yeah it it definitely when it came out um it did like i think the problem the biggest problem with it is so it only made 46 million domestic and 68.3 global but this thing costs seventy five million. Like I don't think movies like this cost that much. Like this, if you'd asked me, like how much do you think this costs, I would not have said seventy five million. I'd have, I'd have probably put it in the thirty max, and therefore probably so something put this uh, in at seventy five million. Um, so 
came to be a cult classic, but um, while the uh, critics didn't like it at the time, uh, Blockbuster Entertainment Awards liked it, nominating it for uh, four times and a win for Stucker Channing as favorite supporting actress in a uh. comedy romance. Yes, there was a thing called Blockbuster Entertainment Awards. I believe it aired on Fox back uh. in the day uh, where it was just another Golden Globes-esque thing where like, let's get celebrities in a place and nominate ones from movies the Oscars aren't going to do. So uh, they did They did that. Um, but yeah, th- this movie... Um, it carries a lot uh, de- deceptively because you th- you think I think the the uh, idea coming into it is like oh this is going to be this bubbly little movie with Sandra Bullock and Nicole Kidman and it's a, a much deeper there. Um, I don't think it even allows you to let it be bubbly. Like it gets dark, no. it gets deep emotionally. Um, and it does have those bubbly fun moments, but they're they they are sprinkled um throughout like it's crazy to me that the midnight margarita sequence exists in the same movie as like the the murder and then like the exorcism stuff going on they like just it's weird but like i said i don't think it's totally off i think it just has a lot to offer and it has a lot of different things to offer because it does come from a book that contains all these events in a book and no one's gonna read the book going oh this is totally off it's just the story that's how it comes out things can be more than one uh genre or type within the the movie and it's just kind of funny that i was reading all these reviews saying totally off and i was like no i think this has a lot to i feel like it like you said it perfectly like this is a this is a mini series crammed into like an hour 40 but four minutes is that what it was 47 So yeah, that that definitely because you know the one episode you have the murder, the other episode you have you know and the cover up, and then you have you know so and it could definitely give you that I don't know like I don't want to say is it would be appropriate like paranormal desperate housewives vibes kind of thing yeah. it could be, um, really could. so where you could get things like that where oh it gets real serious but we have some fun here and there. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's a, it's a, I mean I watched it I watched it twice for this and I definitely I enjoyed it the second time more than I did the first time. The first time I was like I was like, "Ah, this is this is all right." And then the I noticed more the second time and found like a lot more value depth-wise that I didn't notice there the first time around. So, it does have that going for it. I mean, this was a staple movie that I watched on DVD all the time when I was younger mm. in high school and like college, I watched a lot. And then I feel like I didn't watch it as often when I lived in New York. And then I've watched it a couple times, like a few years back, but this is the first time I've watched it in probably like three or something years. And in the past three years, uh, so much of the world has happened and like my own growth and relationships and other things. So I, I connect with, as I said earlier, I connect with Sally so much more today than I did when I first watched the movie. Um, because when I was watching the movie, like if I watched it in New York, I would be like, oh, mm-hmm. I'm such a Nicole Kidman. But I realized I was using my Nicole Kidman aspect to mask the inner Sally within me. So, um, yeah, there was a lot of there's a there. This movie. Yeah, I, Greg I, suggested I, this movie. I didn't push him through this. 
Yeah, no, this is one that I genuinely. <laughs> I hope people are like, haha, yeah, Greg, go through. Yeah, no. Yeah, well, you've only you've only put me on two I've, movies. I feel like that I haven't. I, I picked I cabaret. I, I brought cabaret, cabaret so. and then yeah, you brought this one. So yeah, you brought cabaret. No, you did. It was the the last year we did the the um the Jalo film. Yep. Um, and then we did and then we did cabaret. But I feel like and we did last holiday. I brought holiday. I brought and yep. don't tell mom. I brought yep. how to lose a guy. I brought. Um, so no, I've brought, I bring, I bring the movie. Yeah, I know. I bring it on myself, honestly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I bring it on myself. Yeah. I just, I personally was not prepared. Gotcha. And I will say this. I did not know the emotional impact it would have on me while watching it when I suggested it. I, because I was going to suggest this back when I was going to suggest this a long time ago, but then I was like, Oh, I want to do this. I want to do this. And then I just thought of it when we talked about, I know what you did last summer. And I rewatching it, I was like, oh, nope, not ready for this. But here we go. Let's do some internal reflect. Like, let's do some reflection now. And whoo, it hit hard. So um, I love this movie. I find out more powerful now than I did when I was younger. And um, I think all these actresses were charming and delightful in it. I say, uh, sorry, but we just say all the actresses. This is in a this is like peak Nicole Kidman might be one of the most beautiful women in the world era from like Batman forever to die for. Um, There's another one. This movie is like, just like stunning. She walks in the room. Everybody's like, like just bam right through here. And I, I loved her in this movie that my favorite scene was when she first went to go work in the shop and she's there doing her toes, smoking a cigarette in the shop. Oh, I thought it was great. I, I loved her right there. I was like, Oh my gosh, this is great. Now I'm trying to look up. So, yeah, Sandra Bullock has already established herself by this point as the rom-com queen. So is that where their budget went to get Nicole and Sandra? Because Probably, Nicole, yeah. Sandra Bullock has already done speech. She already did While You Were Sleeping. Mm-hmm. She already did The Net. Um, she already did A Time to Kill. She did Hope Floats already before this movie. So... Yeah, this is, I mean, and Nicole Kidman was, she had to die, the year of To Die For, Batman Forever, and was coming off, uh, she had filmed Eyes Wide Shut, um, but it had not really, this, she filmed this after Eyes Wide Shut, and then Eyes Wide Shut came out the next year. She had Peacemaker with uh, George Clooney, um, but she was coming into her home, because she, you know, she was, at the time, Todd Cruz's wife, um, but she was breaking out into her own, starting with Batman Forever, they became Nicole Kidman movies that she was going to be in before she was like a nice piece to an ensemble cast as the nineties ended and the two thousands began. She was an Oscar contender every year. She was leading. She was the name over the poster, everything like that. She was becoming her own star um, at the time, but yeah, they must've been where that budget is. Like, yeah, she, I mean, she went from practical magic eyes wide and then Moulin Rouge. So she went like boom, boom, boom. Um, so yeah, to die for and Batman forever, really. I mean, to die for was what led her into. Um, yeah, so interesting. Mm-hmm. So, but like Sandra Bullock, I feel like was more established in '98. Yeah. She could sell her own movies at the time uh, easily. Yeah. Nicole Kidman was just starting to do that, but yep. she might have come with a price tag too at the time because of you know the Tom Cruise connection. Because he could negotiate that, and you know, being in like 1995's biggest movie, um, it's probably a big 
thing too. And we're oh, I I just worked with Kubrick, you know. So yeah, that's so she did all that, and then I feel like the now I'm looking up Tu Wong Fu came out before mm-hmm. this movie. Yeah, I don't think Weist and, and Channing are going to really eat it up. And Aiden Quinn's like, Aiden Quinn was probably like eighth choice. I mean, honestly, once you paid for Nicole Kidman and Sandra Bullock and then got Stalker Channing Diet, the guys were the last pieces probably put in here. Um, so Goran uh, Viznich and and, yeah. and uh, Aiden Quinn were probably like, who, okay, who could we bring, who could we afford and who's free to bring in? Uh, was left nothing against those guys, but it's I so how many years since what was Aiden Quinn's big thing that would have been before? Like he had Benny in June, but that was more Johnny Depp being somebody. Yeah. Um, and Mary Stewart Aiden Masterson. Quinn, I don't think I feel like this kind of made Aiden. I feel like Aiden Quinn was like the the and not as an insult to 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 Aiden Quinn, but I feel like he fits into like a Colin Firth category, but like Colin Firth would always get the work that Aiden Quinn could possibly also get, but never. Yeah. Um, because I feel like, because I get them mixed up. I was just watching a YouTube video about the Amanda Bynes, like a commentary on um, the Amanda Bynes movie, mm-hmm. what a girl wants. And I was like, Oh, Aiden Quinn. I was like, Nope, that's Colin Firth. Why do they look like the same person in this movie? So Colin Firth and Aiden Quinn have very kind of like a similar energy in yeah, my mind. yeah I, I can see that yeah um yeah and like stalker channing had already like basically been the go-to supporting role and already had um tu wong fu and first wives club um before this movie where she essentially plays like another variation of that kind of character gotcha gotcha um interesting so yeah so i had no idea the budget was 75 million um i don't know where it went it clearly did not go to marketing um yeah. so so, what did the budget i would love a budget breakdown for this movie if anybody has it please send it to me um but i think it's charming and delightful and holds up and um is worth the rewatch and the older you get the more powerful it is and i'm not even a woman and i'm like i love it women support them um so yeah listeners rewatch this movie value it appreciate it and um i still to this day love Sandra Bullock and no hold them in and if i see their name on a poster i will watch it I sat through yep. all of that Hulu show that Nicole Kidman did, the the Ten Strangers or whatever that nonsense oh, was. Okay. Um, and it was, and the only reason why I watched it and sat through the whole thing is because of Nicole Kidman. I mean, I like the other actors in it, but like, if Nicole Kidman's name is attached, I will watch it. And if Sandra Bullock's name mm-hmm. is attached to something, I will watch it. That to me is just screen charisma and stardom. Well, to me. Uh, and Sandra Sandra Bullock is honestly, and I mean factually one of our last true movie stars left she uh, her name on a, her face name on a poster will get people into theaters and few actors uh actresses can do that and she, like she's one of few like that can open yeah. a movie all on her own there's like per denzel and leo and tom like well not even uh, tom cruise depends what he's in uh even so um but yeah, she I mean she just opened the Lost City. That movie did big. I loved it. And it's a fun movie. It. It, it was everything I was hoping it would be from the trailer. That was that was what I loved about it. I was like, there we go. Um such a fun movie and pairing her with different people and she doesn't have to go, Well, time to call, time to take the call from Marvel. Nope, she didn't have to do that. 
she can just keep doing her own movies and I, I love that um but yeah very we have very few of the the actors that people will go see for them uh rather than the them playing a known character or in a concept that is selling over them so true and you know wait does Sandra Bullock really done miniseries or TV shows? No, no, nope. That's what's interesting is like Nicole Kidman has done miniseries and clearly TV shows. And Nicole Kidman, I would maybe put into that category because I just said I would I'll see anything her name's attached. But I mean, like Sandra Bullock, can Sandra Bullock is pulling off with, doing streaming yeah. movies and theatrical movies because anytime she does a streaming movie you hear about records breaking anytime of like that bird box and then the one she did was it with viola davis viola davis um is that what who was in it with her um are you talking about the one that she just that she did recently on netflix where she played like the woman in prison and then yep, got yep, out. yeah 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 Oh, yeah. Viola Davis, who was like in it for like three minutes only. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So that one did very well. Like, people love Sandra Bullock. So if she's at yeah. home or in the theater, they're going to go see Sandra Bullock. She's enough to draw people out. Um, yep. And that's astounding, especially in the era of COVID and, you know, stuff that she she is one of them that can do that. And that's that's great. Um, and Nicole Kim, yeah. Insane. Nicole Kim is great. I, I One of my favorite moments in the theater this year was. Uh, the Northman. When I went to AMC, oh, yeah. and she introduced a movie that she was in, <laughs> I thought that was great. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, Nicole Kidman. I always like seeing every there, every everywhere. She's she's what? Oh, what was I gonna say? She's is she Gen two? I I I talked about this on my um, Olivia Newton John episode where I said for some reason every generation has this blonde startlit Australian that just sets the world on fire and then passes a torch to another one because you got like, I don't know, well, so it's in some capacity becomes a fixation and you had Olivia Newton-John to to um, Nicole Kidman to Naomi Watts to now we're on Margot Robbie. Like there's always, oh. and there's just one. <laughs> there's just a blonde Australian girl that's just a bombshell and takes takes the awe of either Hollywood producers or somebody or America or, you know, like, or film um, geeks or somebody and just, oh, and, and Nicole Kidman was like gen two of that. Um, true until she, but she wasn't very blonde for very long. She nope. embraced that and leaned into it just like yep. Lucille Ball. Um, very well. And Ellen and Nicole Kidman played Lucille Ball. How funny. Boom. Maybe there we go yeah. on Amazon. Um, so there you go. Yeah. Which, I still think that movie was brilliant, and I am one of the most. I I still to this day think I Love Lucy is the greatest television show of all time. It's a great um, show. I grew up so, on rerun, Nick and Night reruns of I Love Lucy for sure. I I own it all on DVD. I have the books. I have. I think Lucille Ball is one of the greatest like like humans to live. Um. So, um. Nicole Gibbon playing her. It was an odd choice. I was still. I still think. I want to see a Kate Blanchett version, who is the original oh. cast as Lucy, um, who was originally Kate Blanchett. But um, I was very pleased with what Nicole Kidman pulled off um, playing Lucille Ball, not Lucy Ricardo. And I think she was fine as Lucy Ricardo doing the episode skits. But mm-hmm. again, people don't separate Lucille Ball from her character too much either, yeah. um, which people really need to recognize that they're two very distinct things. Right. Anyway. And, ner- um, and nerds, we may not have had Star Trek without Lucio. Yep. So, 
All right. Well, Greg, this was this was wonderful, and you got deep and personal, like mm. we tend to love here. Um, but and and seeing another side, the thing I like. I and I want to say like I love when you go off on like I like when you go off of these I love talking to these about you because I gain a different angle and appreciation for some of these that I might not have had before and uh, grow a, a little more fondness to sort of these some of these movies that we talk about and stuff and I really like that and that's why I'm like oh okay I'll dig into practical I'm probably gonna like practical magic a lot more after this than I would have before so um, but thank you for opening up not being afraid to like. Just be yourself and share your feelings and your experience. Um, but uh, that'll do it for us today. And uh, where, where, if in case they didn't listen last week, in case they've never heard you on here before, where can they keep up with you? And- uh, you can find me on all social media platforms at the McGoonies, the T H E McGoonies M C G O O N I E S. Um, mostly active just on Instagram, so you can find me there always open to answering questions um so yeah one of one of my listeners refers to you as greg mcswoon is that something <laughs> you've been called before or um i have um kind of uh I've, I've heard it before and there was one time i forgot what i was like running for in a thing but it would have been like a campaign like swoon for mcgoon um oh, would have okay. been a campaign thing so i've heard it but I don't know if I have the confidence in myself to fully embrace or accept that coming from me, but if other people do it, that's nice. There we go. Uh, <laughs> All right. And I'm on Twitter and Instagram at brand4kuhd, written work on whysoblue.com. Next week, Jessica's back, and we will be discussing we will be discussing the WNUF Halloween special. And this is kind of interesting because this is the first movie I have dedicated an episode fully to that I did on my other show back in the day, but that was like six years ago. So it's like new again. Um, And of course, Old Space Show Wednesday. And as always, stay film positive. Thank you for listening. The Brandon Peters Show is a Creative Zombie Studios production. Produced by Brad Shoemaker and Brandon Peters. Written and edited by Brandon Peters. Announcer vocals by Jessica Alsman. Theme song by Metavari. Web design and show art by Brad Shoemaker with Brandon Peters. All music and clips featured in the episode are property of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. Additional information on this and other episodes at brandonpetersshow.com. For any inquiries, press opportunities, or sponsorship, contact mail at brandonpetersshow.com. show is available on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are found.